Today on the Ballet and Beyond podcast. Yeah, of course. I think since, I mean, as dancers, before you join the company, and um, it's basically like a two years audition. <laughs> um, just because you do need to prove yourself in everything that you do. And it is very tough mentally because we are very young uh, when we are, you know, going through those stages. And um, but then it makes the transition a little bit easier because you're used to the mental pressure of the, um, of the job. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us on the Ballet and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Pete Commander. Our guest today is American Ballet Theater Corps de Ballet member Virginia Lenski. For Virginia's full bio or more information about the Ballet and Beyond podcast, follow the links in the description. This episode is brought to you by Charm City Ballet. For more information on classes and upcoming performances, visit www.charmcityballet.com. Virginia, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. Excellent. I want to start by going through your career, sort of where you started. I know you grew up in uh, Milan, Italy, and... Um, and you and you began your training there. Tell us uh, how you started in dance, how you found ballet in particular, um, and then what your training was like at home, and what the process was for you getting to the U.S. and eventually JKO school. Yeah, so I started dancing when I was three years old. Uh, my mom, I was always dancing around the house with my mom and uh, my mom was like, why not bring her to a ballet studio? And so I did go to the ballet studio and uh, from there I kept dancing until I was about eight years old. And at around eight, I feel like that's when it got a little bit more intense and that's when I felt more pressure towards dancing and I actually decided to stop. <laughs> I was like, this is not fun anymore. Uh, it's it's gotten mm-hmm. like a lot. It's getting more pressure, and um, and I just felt like it was time for me to take a little break from it. But in that break, uh, I actually kept dancing. You know, I was always dancing with my friends, making choreographies at school. Like I just could never stop dancing. So at some point, when I was around eleven years old, uh, one summer, I just like talked to my mom and I was like I think I want to start dancing again and I don't know how I decided that or necessarily where it came from it just it just was a feeling that I had and also in those two years that I stopped dancing I tried everything else possible so I think maybe that kind of led me to you know back to dance um yeah, so, so then uh, at 11, uh, 12 years old, I auditioned for La Scala Ballet School. And that's how I got in. Um, there is like a thorough audition process there at 12. So I had to do that. Um, right. And, and then I stayed at La Scala for about uh, six years. And I, during those six years, I always traveled. Like I always did summer intensives everywhere in the world. I went to Royal Ballet School for the summer intensive. I went to Victor Latte in Madrid. I uh, did the summer intensive of the School of American Ballet, actually. 
and uh, which is the school of the university ballet and uh, so wow. yes and uh, at 16 that's when i decided to do the summer intensive for american ballet theater and because i always loved new york i went there when i was eight years old and i fell in love with the city and and then through the years you know i started looking at the company on youtube videos as much as i could <laughs> see online and i was like okay i'm gonna you know go try an audition for the summer intensive i got in i eventually went to the summer intensive and i got a scholarship at the summer intensive to join the jko school so that kind of was what led me to the jko school so so did they approach you about a scholarship for the jko school how did that how did that come about out of the summer intensive yeah they did approach me I think uh, at the end of uh, the summer program, they do approach some students, the ones that they like the most, um, and they they do offer scholarships for sure. So you get to JKO school. What was the training like there compared to what you were doing at La Scala? Well, it was definitely different. so at La Scala, we do Cecchetti style. And I did a little bit of Vaganova as well. Uh, so it's very much like, it's more longer exercises, more like dancing through the exercise. And um, at ABT, it's more sharp and a little bit shorter. So that's kind of what the biggest difference was for me. And it's definitely at ABT was a little bit more dynamic than I was used to. I think the Cecchetti style is a little bit slower in the approach and especially in the small jumps. Mm. Um, but uh, I mean, ABT, the training at ABT uh, mixes together all of the styles. So like Cecchetti, Vaganova, Royal Ballet style. So it's uh, like a, right. a little bit of a mix of everything. So I didn't really feel like an extreme difference when I went there and you know, took class at ABT for the first time because it was, there, there were still elements of the training that I did at La Scala for sure. Hmm. Hmm. What was the what was the training regiment like? Was it about the same in terms of how much studio time you had and 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 how much uh, rehearsal time you had? Yeah, actually. So at La Scala, I did school in the afternoon. So what I did was uh, ballet in the morning and then school in the afternoon. And uh, ballet would go from around 10.30 until like around 2. And then uh, from 2 until 9 p.m. it was school. <laughs> like I would go to high school. And uh, right. that was pretty intense. But uh, the amount of hours, I would say, at ABT, the school at ABT does more because uh, some days we would finish at 4 uh, p.m. And um, and it, I, we, were, we had some uh, contemporary classes and Pilates classes. It was just more, um, it was just more hours overall. But at La Scala, mm. we definitely did more performances because the year round, we performed a lot. So instead of the JKO, you do about, I think, one performance, full performance a year uh, at the end of the year, which is, uh, you know, normal for the school. But at La Scala, we were also touring 
and dancing, which made it easier for me to transition into the corps de ballet because at La Scala I was already used to doing corps de ballet because we were dancing a lot. We did Serenade, we did Who Cares, we did uh, La Silfide. We did a lot. So, 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 yeah, so were all those La Scala performances, were those all part of, let's say, the school's curriculum or were they uh, as part of uh, an umbra- like a company that, was, uh, that the school was associated with? No, it was the school curriculum. Oh, okay. So inside mm-hmm. the curriculum, the school would bring uh, different performances. When I was there, like, of course, you had the uh, Nutcracker. And then uh, we, so we did our own Nutcracker, and then we did a performance at the end of the year. But we also did a couple of tours here and there. And, this, and we also got to perform on the La Scala Theater stage. Mm. So that was, wow. it was just like very nice experiences performing wise but definitely as a curriculum itself i think abt gave me a little bit more um material in terms of like how many classes like we had you know two hours of class uh, and then an hour of point then part of the class and uh, we did some contemporary character so it was just uh, overall we did uh, more hours towards just like the classes that we were supposed to do at jkl Right. But right. I also only spent half a year in JKL. <laughs> I spent like... Oh, really? Yeah, I only spent four months in JKL before I joined the studio company. So it was a very quick transition for me from school to junior company. Oh, that's interesting. Is that is that typical? No. You usually spend mm. a year in JKL, but they a uh, few spots open up. Yeah, in uh, January, because I think people had to go transition into the company sooner because mm. they needed more people. So then spots opened up in the studio company and uh, they decided to take me from the JKO. I was in the last level. Got it. So, Got it. Yeah. And, and so, so then you transitioned into the junior company and you had mentioned before that your uh, experience at La Scala aided that transition into the company. Um, so what was that transition into the company like for you, having had that experience at La Scala? Well, the junior company, we uh, it's, of course, like a small company. It's about, I think, around 15 people uh, between mm. men and women. And uh, uh, that was definitely, I think, one of the hardest. I spent a year and a half in, stu- in the studio company, the junior company and that was one of the I think hardest years for sure because you are traveling a lot and it's very like it's not a whole you know school it's it's 15 people and you're dancing a lot and then you're traveling and you're doing a lot of classes so that was very intense but it definitely helped me grow as a dancer and um, and then from there I I got into the company, but when I transitioned into the company, in the, in the studio company, it's way less corps de ballet. I would say just because you are, you know, just only 15 people, so you can't really do right. much corps de ballet. But I think what helped me in my experience at La Scala, then when I actually joined the company, then it was the corps de ballet work. Like I knew already how the corps de ballet worked, just because I... I have experienced that 
dancing different ballets. We danced, uh, what did we dance? Paquita. And uh, we danced like at the yes, Serenade, the Nutcracker. So I've experienced already, mm. you know, I have to be in line, I had to dance a certain way, I had to follow people. Like I, I was experienced in that for sure. Um, right. As well as you know, in the studio company, you do more solo roles and more. So I had both both sides, which is really nice. Well, and it's interesting too. Um, when I was talking to uh, when I was talking to Luciana, we one of the things that we discussed was some of the ways that companies use tools to test their dancers to see who can handle what things, and it sort of sounds like the junior company plays that role where they use the junior company to see how much a dancer can handle and see if they can handle the, the intense schedule and the intense training and, and the, the, the extra stage time that comes with a, with a, small, with a small company. Um, and yeah. it, it, it sounds like that was, that, was, that was your experience. Also, do you feel like that was used sort of as a proving ground for you? Yeah, of course. I think since... I mean, as dancers, before you join the company, and um, it's basically like a two years audition, <laughs> um, just because you do need to prove yourself in everything that you do, and it is very tough mentally because we are very young uh, when we are, you know, going through those stages, and um, but then it makes the transition a little bit easier because you're used to the mental pressure of the. Um, of the job right did you have tools that you used to handle the mental pressure of the job yeah well at the beginning I think I really wanted to just prove myself when I first joined the company Um, so for me it was always just kind of be on top of things (laughs) before I even they even could you know, make me prove something. I was just like, I wanted to anticipate it. Um, so I always studied videos in the evening um, and they used to throw me around in all the spots. So I've studied spots like the two hours before a show. I was the person that was learning like every single different spot. Wow. And and then when you first join, it's it's a lot because you you of course want to just be focused on that and just be focused on like proving that you're enough to be there. And um, yeah, what helped me at the beginning, just like doing my own thing and learning the videos, just made me feel more confident because I didn't want to be unprepared. I feel like being unprepared makes me feel um, not confident, and at the same time, doesn't let me fully show what I can do if I don't feel confident first. Right, right. So what, uh, you are in the court of ballet now or have you been, are you still in, you're in the court of ballet now? Okay. Yeah, I'm in um, the court of ballet. And, and so, and you've been there now with the, with the main company for how long? Uh, 2005 years. Five years. Yes, five okay. years. Five years. Um, then, of course, we didn't have a season for like a year and a half. Right, right. So, so tell us about that a little bit. What was what? What was it like 
getting into the main company and then what a year later or a year and a half later we were we were into the pandemic and so um you then spent the next year and a half or two years just trying to figure out what was what was going on so um what was that like for you and for the company i guess as a whole um from the time that you got in and then the pandemic uh came around well it was definitely uh tough like it wasn't it was it wasn't easy um because it's something that nobody has experienced before not just our company but nobody in the world so it was very hard uh, mentally to accept that and to try and figure out what was best for my life and for and then in the meantime the company was trying to figure out what was best for you know the company so right. well because everything was so high like the whole company was just like going up and up and up and then for everything to stop it felt a little bit like a crash because as well um as a young dancer you i tended at least to uh, put a lot of focus on my job which uh doesn't mean now like now i'm also very focused on my job but i definitely have a different approach towards it because of covid um because a little bit of let's say my whole life kind of crashed once covid started just because you know we were dancing a lot traveling all over like i was 20 like i was set 8 9 hours a day in the studio mm. and from going from that to complete zero was a huge um a huge change but it also you know moved things up for a part of it for the better um yeah well the company we stopped for a while we stopped for a long time actually we didn't really have shows or full classes for about a year after and we just got back we got back in the in 2021 the fall of 2021 that's when the company first started back but i don't think things are were fully back to normal until this season which mm-hmm. is also still a little bit um, not exactly how it was before simply because the world is not how it was before but you know we're getting there so uh during the during the time where we were in quarantine the company tried to make some bubbles and virtual projects so that was kind of how the company was kept together let's say mm-hmm. and uh, in that time also I went back to Italy to just be with my family because everything was virtual so I didn't really need to be in the US and um and then yeah when we come back just everything was a little bit different everybody was more uh, as well like together in the same situation in a sense that we lived the the same reality mm-hmm. so everybody had a different understanding of how another person might feel in that moment or how we are we were all feeling which was a little bit of shock <laughs> from everything that happened right. i mean right. as a dancer we work with our bodies we can just like work at home and as much as we can take classes from home they're not going to be the same as us dancing 9 hours in the studio and then doing different shows so it was hard mentally because you had to keep in shape somehow <laughs> and then <laughs> right. come back to shape 
trying not to get injured, as well as always wearing a mask. And wearing a mask is very hard as an athlete. And uh, all the different, you know, conditions in which we had to come back to, which isn't what we're used to. And with somebody that works with their bodies, it's much harder, um, as you know, of course. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's like, um yeah because you can you can't simply just work from home so it was it was just like a a big shock but coming back to it it's um definitely you take you're more grateful for what you do when you feel like it's been taken away from you so easily <laughs> and so quickly yes. um which is kind of what i realized because i was very focused in my job but more as um I would say like it could be healthy and unhealthy to be really completely in it because it could kind of um, put you a little bit away from your passion because you just kind of forget that you love it. So then you become so obsessed with it that it becomes your whole world and uh, and it just like it shouldn't have that much weight on your life because it is. I mean, at the end of the day, it's your passion and you always have to remember that's like why you do it. It's because you love it so much. And, you know, now I'm very grateful. I have a body that lets me do that. And um, because not everybody can for sure. And after COVID as well, like there were so many instances in which I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it's so hard mm. to just like keep going. And right. And I'm very grateful as well for my body to just like that's been strong and I kept going through it too. So, right. yeah. So well, there it's, are yeah, highs and lows. It, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. I I think um, I've been I've thought in the past about uh, something that you sort of alluded to, which was an appreciation for the time you get in the studio now. Um, where it, it wasn't there, you know, we spent so long, um, you know, having to train at home that once we were back in, there was a little honeymoon period where yeah. we, we, all, we all were appreciative again about being in the studio. And I think it could be important to remind everyone listening and remind ourselves occasionally um, to be appreciative of the time that we have in the studio and and the fact that our our bodies are able to get us there and and keep moving that's that's definitely something that um doesn't last forever and is yeah. something i think to be appreciated yeah yeah for sure because uh like because when a simple bar and the floor the right floor <laughs> and the mirrors just go a long way yes for us yes. so yeah every time i like try to remind myself that i'm very lucky to do what i do as like to do my work as my passion because not everybody gets to do that and yes sometimes it's hard of course because you know every every job <laughs> is hard right. and especially it, it hits you harder if it's your passion that's for sure um, right. But at the end of the day, you're you're there because you love it, and we are very lucky to do it. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit, 
And I want to talk about Candlelighters NYC, which I know is an organization that, that you're involved with. Um, tell us what the organization is, uh, what is its mission, what is your role and position with them, uh, how long have you been working with them. Tell us, about, uh, tell us about what that is and what it's all about. Yeah, so Candelighters is a wonderful organization. Uh, they work with kids that uh, fight, that are fighting cancer, and we work. They work with the kids and their families to support them. So that's kind of what they uh, go about, and uh, they do everything in their power to support those families because um, that's what we can do. <laughs> It's just support uh, in that way, and uh, and I I do that and I help through dance, so I try and support families through dance. So my journey with them started in 2019. I felt that I really wanted to volunteer. <laughs> I just wanted to find an, but I couldn't find an organization that fully. I was like, okay, I'm gonna. I don't know. I just didn't find an organization that was right for me in that sense. And, and then I found randomly on Instagram, <laughs> Candlelighters, uh, mm. New York City, and I contacted them. And uh, it's so funny because I contacted them and, uh, you know, we exchanged a couple of emails, like, great to meet you and everything but I never really spoke to them or saw them because at that time I was in it was in the summer and I was in Italy with my family uh during that time and uh, and then when I came back the second day I was back at 6 a.m I get a call from the founder and she's like are you free today to come upstate with me and the kids and just go to the farm and well, I was awake because of the jet lag. <laughs> so in that sense, it was great because I was right. wide awake from 5 right. a.m. <laughs> She's mm. like, can you meet me at 7 a.m.? And I was like, I've never met this person. I have never, I was just like, I don't know them. But I said right. yes, and uh, I just went for it. So, and I mean, she's wonderful, and they're all wonderful in the organization. So I wasn't. You know, as soon as I met them, I wasn't worried. Um, yeah, so we went upstate with the farm and with the kids, and they're wonderful. And it was just a great experience. And since then, I decided that I wanted to just volunteer with them. And then, um, and then, like about five months later, I got the idea that I was like, why not just do a little showing for the kids? just why not because right. i through them i also realized how much just a simple gesture can make a difference in somebody's mm. life and i think uh, dance is a gift as well and that can touch people sometimes as dancers we don't see that because we're so involved in our own mind and um you know our own careers which is fine um right. because of course right. you you need to be determined and have that uh, sense of self when you want to achieve you know good career in the company in a company but at the same time it kind of sidetracks you into just making everything about yourself 
and it just kind of opened my eyes up to being like it's not all about you and it just and it can touch life and that's it that actually does make a difference instead of being oh yeah it's just a performance how well did i do in this performance mm. because it's at the end of the day it's not about that it's something that you give in a theater and something that you give to touch people and to touch people hearts and i think that's the power of it and that's the power that um dance is uh, like basically it's a universal language so everybody can understand it no matter if you speak you know spanish if you speak italian if you speak french any language dance you will understand because it's an emotion and it's a it's a emotions that the human being just feels and everybody can relate to that so yeah. i kind of when i don't know i just realizing that and i started creating these um shows which were literally that which were literally shows in which me and my fellow abt dancers would dance for about you know 30 minutes and then with all the families we would dance together and it was great <laughs> Mm. I loved it. Everybody loved it. And I just kind of kept doing it. So I did a couple and um, during COVID is when I actually had time to devote myself to doing more of these things and really truly understand where, um, like how much dance can actually change because change people's lives because I, I knew it could, but I didn't fully see it until first of all I did the showing and that's when I actually started realizing oh it does like it can make a difference and um and during COVID I started this interview uh series on Instagram and because I was like there is people that must have been already doing it you know when you think of something and there is like somebody's probably already doing it somewhere in the world yes yes so I looked for those people and I wanted to interview them. I wanted to interview people that actually were doing what I was feeling. <laughs> mm. um, and because I wanted to show the world in a way, <laughs> I mean, through Instagram, <laughs> right, that right. there is people and organizations that are doing it. They are using dance to fight, uh, to help social change and yeah i just kind of wanted to showcase that and show people that there is these organizations and if anybody was interested in that they could also contact those organizations because a part of me feels like as as many things as one person can do if we keep just creating so many organizations yes of course every organization is different if it's something that nobody has done it before that's great but also I think some of the organizations do need a platform to just be seen a little bit more and just known because I also didn't know them. So I felt like it was, and I wanted to meet those people. So I was like, why don't we just meet just online and everything, right. you know, we were in quarantine, so we couldn't go out, we couldn't do anything. So I was just like, why not create an interview series that kind of showcase what people are doing and what people are already doing because sometimes it just feels like maybe you think of something and then you're like oh nobody's doing it or you know nobody's thinking about this 
nobody's thinking about using dance for social change, but there is so many organizations that have been doing that for years already. Mm. And um, um, of course, the more the merrier. <laughs> right, right. Because dance, right. dance is wonderful and uh, it can touch so many people's lives. And um, yeah, so then during COVID, I just started doing that more and more. So I started well, teaching the Candlelighters kids more. Um, I did, I helped coordinate with ABT an autism workshop, dance workshop for people with uh, autism or that are differently abled. Um, mm. And then I started interviewing people and I also did a training in uh, North Macedonia with the organization My Lips. And I did that for about a week where it taught me their method on how they were teaching dance to kids uh, to create social change. And uh, I loved that organization as well. They use uh, actually studied methods to help people go from uh, um, you know, poverty and thinking that they cannot achieve much in their life to being more confident in themselves having um, dreams, uh, giving them resources, and all of these all through dance. So just one mm. dance class in 12 weeks, like two dance classes for 12 weeks can transform a kid's life. But actually not just making them become a principal dancer in a company, like just making them think that they can go to school and they mm. can you know, think about the, just bringing them together. He builds friends and friendship and, um, and just more, a lot of skills that you need in your life to go forward that a lot of them maybe give up on. So, so I think that was very eye-opening to me, for sure. And because it just gave me a full method to actually teach kids in a way that would create change. But it wasn't, it's not classical ballet, it's just a method that works for, for everybody. And they have organizations all over the world, they have schools all over the world that are working on these and they track it and they track the progress. They as well help small businesses, they help women at the same time. They have so much, so much that they do. And it's amazing how they're all achieving this through dance. I mean, because it is amazing. a language. Yeah. yeah, because what what was very interesting actually to me was that also through this class, you can uh, teach uh, an actual language. <laughs> I mean, everybody understands oh, the movement that they're doing, but sometimes, you know, maybe if you want kids to learn some English, you just like point at your shoulders and your shoulder and then everybody needs to repeat shoulder. And maybe you know, you personally cannot communicate with them. Like I couldn't communicate fully with them when I was in North Macedonia, but then we could understand each other. And that was the beauty of right. it because right. we just didn't fully need to speak the same language, but we could understand each other from like signaling movements and uh, emotions, expressions. Mm. Mm. Well, that's a good segue into talking about your teaching. And now I've seen you teach firsthand. 
Um, and you've been teaching for a few years now, and I, I think it was a, check my notes, a, uh, an article from 2020 um, where you talked about uh, starting to teach and um, enjoying teaching in general. Um, is that something that you're doing outside of candlelighters and like in general? Um, and is it something that you see yourself doing into the future? Uh, yeah, so during COVID, we had the great opportunity to do the ABT teacher training. And that was the first time I opened myself up fully to teaching. Because before, I didn't really have a chance or I didn't just, I didn't think about teaching in general. And uh, during COVID, it just all came. I um, did the ABT teacher training curriculum. I did all the levels. And mm. of course, it was all virtual. Um, and and then after that, I started teaching the ABT summer intensive. And then some classes here and there. And then I started teaching some of the candlelighters kids. And I started um, doing more and more at the summer intensive, just more and more classes in general. And, and uh, it, it was great. Like, I didn't know how I felt about teaching before. And, um, and now seeing the different approaches to teaching as well, like doing the mind lips training, which is a different teaching than like the classical ballet training teaching. Mm. Uh, it just kind of opened my eyes up to how I want to be as a teacher. <laughs> right. Because there is right. so many teachers out there, but just feeling that I can give my own uh, approach to how I teach and just give like transmit the things that I want to transmit to the students the way I I want to do them is very powerful to me because there is a lot of toxicity in the dance world and a lot of teachers that are not they're not good to the students and and I, I just like seeing that. I just didn't want to be that. And I hope never to be that. So it just gives me a little bit of... Um, I like it because it gives you a little bit of power in a sense that you can change a little bit of the ballet world simply by teaching. And teaching the right way and not, and not making it um, fully toxic in any way for anybody that is taking right. a class because ballet is about you know everybody's unique and uh, of course it's very hard and uh, you have to be determined if you want to be a professional but ballet dance itself is for everybody so um, nobody should ever feel like somebody is not made for dance because dance is for everyone of course to be a professional dancer of course, like it's a job and you have to be very determined and work very hard. But dance itself is for everyone. So I kind of right. just want to transmit that when I teach. One of the things that I noticed watching you teach. So I, I started teaching when I was 17. So I can unfortunately say more than half my life I've been teaching now. Um, and... Uh, so it, it took it took me a long time to sort of develop 
my style and, and my approach and it took a lot of time studying other teachers and, and things like that. One of the things that I noticed when I was watching you teach the other day, um, you had great insight. Your communication was very, very clear. Um, and, and I think that the flow of your class was really, was really, it was really good. It was really, I think it was really beneficial for the dancers. Um, and, I know that you know I am into ballet, so I enjoy watching ballet class. But it was an in, it was a it was a nice class to watch, also. Um, so you can you can take that for what it's worth. But um, you know I, I I do I completely agree that that finding a way to communicate these difficult ideas because what like you said, if you want to be a professional and if you want to study the craft to its fullest. At any level, at any at any let's say performance level, uh, if you want to study the craft to, to its fullest, it's very very a very difficult thing to to master, um, and it takes it, it takes takes discipline to do so. And so, finding a way as a as a teacher to instill and talk about some of these really difficult concepts that are required for mastering the craft is is well, like you said, it's critical to a student potentially potentially being able to move on from it, so to speak. That yeah. is to say, get something out of it and not completely, you know, break down or lose themselves in the process. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah. completely, no, completely that's agree. true. Because also we start so young, so right. while we learn all of these, we are developing. And one small thing can set up a whole set of problems mentally, like the smallest yeah. comment. And it's yeah. so important that teachers learn how to use the right words. And of course, we're humans and we make mistakes, but it's, um, it's very important to follow, especially if somebody wants to become a professional, to just encourage them as much as you can and to be approaching dance in a healthy way. Completely. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll comment on the other side of that also. Um, you had said that it's important for teachers to learn to use the right words. And, and absolutely, it's also important that the students, so this is teachers teach your students to understand what the right words are and understand the meaning behind what your teachers are saying, um, that even though they might use certain phrases or words for something, um, it might not make sure that you're taking it the way that they mean it and not in some other way, because, because that the, the communication is just as important from the students end as it is from the teachers. end. there is a, there is a cooperation there, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Of course there, it needs to be, it needs to for sure go both ways. And, uh, um, the teachers need to be explaining very well what they mean, and then the students uh, need to just understand what the teacher mean and not what you think she meant or he meant um, in their head. So, right. yeah, so just uh, right. both ways, it's about the right communication. So... Um... So I'm gonna I'm gonna start to wrap us up here. What, uh, what? Let's say 
advice might you have for young dancers or not as young dancers who are trying to find some sort of path into being able to dance at a, we'll call it a high level, um, full time? What kind of, what kind of guidance might you give, might you give a young dancer? I think uh, one thing is uh, be very determined and don't let anyone stop you from wanting um, from uh, keep go- from just keep going in your own path because a lot of times there's so many outside things that can stop you and can get in the way but just remember that it is your passion and it is something that you can do in your life if you really want to and you just need to keep going and just be true to yourself don't look at anybody else that's one thing it's yes you can look at others to find some inspiration but just remember what is right for you and what is good for you and uh, and just stay true to yourself and to your dancing because everybody that is unique and one person's comment doesn't make you good or bad <laughs> and you're just you and you you're confident in your abilities and you're confident in who you are as a dancer so even if you look at the 50 instagram videos of other people dancing just remind yourself that you are unique and you don't have to be like anybody else and you can just be you with your dancing because that's the beauty of what we bring on stage we're human beings and um each one of us is different, of course. So don't let yourself fit into a box. Yeah, that's kind of my advice. <laughs> Excellent. Was there anything that you wanted to promote or talk about that you're doing, any projects that you have going on or anything like that? I think just uh, come and watch ABT. <laughs> uh, if you want, you can follow me on Instagram, Virginia Lenzi. Um, and, you know, I always update with performances or other things that I'm doing. And, yeah, it was great teaching at Charm City Ballet. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Virginia. I, we you. really appreciate you taking the time to, to, to share your experiences with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks again for joining us on the Ballet and Beyond podcast. Today's episode was brought to you by Charm City Ballet. For more information on classes and upcoming performances, visit www.charmcityballet.com. New episodes are released weekly, so be sure to check back for more. For guest requests, email balletandbeyondpodcast at gmail.com.